hear the word of God now from Deuteronomy chapter 15. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan they have made to a fellow Israelite. They shall not require payment from anyone among their own people because the Lord's time for canceling debts has been proclaimed. You may require payment from a foreigner, but you must cancel any debt your fellow Israelite owes you. However, there need be no poor people among you. For in the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you. If only you fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all these commands I'm giving you today, for the Lord your God will bless you as he has promised, and you will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. You will rule over many nations, but none will rule over you. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts is near, so that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Come Holy Spirit, lead us, feed us as only you can. Thank you for your faithfulness, God. We love you and honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'll start with this life snapshot. I used to work for InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, a college campus ministry on over 500 campuses around the country. Remember the, the, the uh, role and the role I had as a fundraiser because everybody on InterVarsity staff, including the president, raises their own support. Or as I always used to say, God raised our support for us. And we had donors, and I had a donor list I would send out month. I was on staff with them for six years, and I would send out regular donors' uh, uh, letters. And I can remember walking on Capitol Hill and uh, when I lived there in early 2000s at 1 a.m. to mail all my donors, um, my donor uh, uh, letters in the mail. And I was blessed. The church I was on staff with gave a significant portion of my support, but then I had a bunch of donors around the country who did, including my friends, Tim and Amy. And Tim and Amy were among my donors in Seattle for those six years they supported me. One night we were having dinner and I was sharing with them about the ministry at Seattle Central Community College where I had the great privilege of doing ministry for six years. What a place, what an exciting place. And I remember having dinner, I think they bought me dinner, and we were eating, and all of a sudden, Tim says, so how about a thousand bucks? I said, sure. <laughs> I felt so loved by them, so cared for and supported by them. Their giving was so empowering. I didn't have the income they did at that point. But in their generosity, they lifted me up. It was so gracious. And it, it was propulsive for me in the work at Saddle Central. God bless Saddle Central Community College. 
Jill and I got married just uh, right behind the campus at the church up there, uh, Capitol Presbyterian Church, and we had all these students at our wedding, and it was beautiful. Tim and Amy were part of that whole experience in my life, and their giving reminded me of God's grace, and it reminded me of who's in charge. Their giving hearts, and the giving hearts of all my donors, reminds us that we are people on the way and utterly dependent on a God who is utterly dependable. All the way on that journey in six years, I saw that again and again and again and again. Well, in the book of Deuteronomy, Israel is on the middle of a journey. They're on the path to the promised land. They're about to enter it. Leadership is about to transition from Moses to Joshua. So here in Deuteronomy, they take a pause. And Moses, their leader, as commentators point out, is presenting here in Deuteronomy a series of speeches to brief them, brief Israel, get them ready for the promised land. And it's an overview of the ways that God would have them shape their hearts and lives in response to the grace of the land he's giving them. Moses is giving them the shape of life in response to God's provision. How do you live, not to earn God's love, but in response to God's love given in the land? Among the counsel that Moses gives from general counsel, like remembering their past mistakes and loving God well and removing idols and very specific counsel about how to cut their hair of all things because they weren't to cut their hair like the pagans did and about what foods they needed to avoid and which ones they could eat because they weren't to eat like the pagans did, this whole idea of a people set apart as God's people. And then we get to today's passage. As all of this would help Israel stand out, this call to forgive debts valued the individual person. As one scholar put it, this would make Israel stand out too, their value of the individual. Elsewhere in the ancient Near East, scholars point out, people were treated in terms of their status in the community rather than as individuals. Members of the aristocracy, the priests, the landowners, the rulers, and military leaders always had the advantage. A study of so-called Code of Hammurabi will reveal that the slave and the underprivileged counted for less before the law. So there were, there were definitely laws in other ancient societies that, that involved forgiveness of debts and releasing of debts, but in Israelite law, the, the slave and the underprivileged were lifted up. The poor and the needy were the special concern of God, and the covenant family was expected to ensure the welfare of every member of the family. So there are parallels between Israel's call here in Deuteronomy 15 to release people from debt, but there are unique things about Israel's call to release people from debt. Israelite law was framed to protect the underprivileged. So since Israel, scholar, scholar says, one scholar says, since Israel herself 
had once been enslaved in Egypt and had known the sorrow of oppression and the joy of redemption, she was bound to guarantee the freedom and welfare of individuals. Israel's economic system was to operate from a bigger reality than just the world around them. The reality from which Israel was to operate was none other than the reality of God's grace and generosity. Look at how often God is mentioned in some way in the scriptures I just read. Starting with verse two, the Lord's time for canceling debts has been proclaimed. Verse four, in the land of the Lord your God is giving you, he will richly bless you. If you only fully obey the Lord your God, verse five, Verse six, for the Lord your God will bless you. Verse seven, the Lord your God is giving you the land. Verse eight, nine, do not show ill will toward the needy among your people and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you. And then verse 10, give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord your God will bless you well. There's no question who's at the center. Eight times in nine verses, the noun or pronoun for God is proclaimed. This is the land that is God's gift and law in the Old Testament is not a way to earn God's love. It is the way life is to be structured in response to God's grace of the land. God liberates Israel from Egypt, then he gives the 10 commandments. Grace comes before the law even in the Old Testament. This is about what it means to live a life in response to God's generosity. This generosity of God was meant to reach deeply into the hearts of God's people. And as God's generosity renovated their hearts, they were to become more gracious and more generous. Grace, faith that receives grace becomes grace, gracious. Faith that receives grace becomes gracious. And that goes right not just to your actions, but it goes to your heart behind the actions. In verse nine, Israel is warned not to harbor the wicked thought of not loaning to the needy in the sixth year. You can see the temptation here. Hmm, if it's year six and I loan to this person and then the next year I have to cancel the debt, that is not a good deal for me. <laughs> No, that's not to be your central concern. Scholar J.A. Thompson points out, as the seventh year approached, men of wealth would hesitate to make loans which would not be reimbursed. To lend a poor man something in the sixth year was practically to make him a gift. But it was, it was precisely a gift of this kind that was being asked of Israel. Faith that receives grace becomes gracious. Faith that receives the land gives. As Tim Keller points out, the late, great Tim Keller, these words in Deuteronomy 15 directed that any Israelite who fell into debt had to be forgiven those debts every seventh year. Not only could creditors no longer demand payment, but they had to release the pledges of collateral taken for the debt this law of release, Keller says, was a powerful and specific public policy aimed at removing 
One of the key factors causing poverty, long-term burdensome debt. So here we can see, as Keller points out, how our text can both say there will always be poor in the land and that there need be no poor among you. You notice both things were said. As Keller points out, God's concern for the poor is so strong that he gave Israel a host of laws that, if practiced, would have virtually eliminated any permanent underclass. Now, of course, we are not a theocratic nation state, but we have the word of God and there are poor among us and there are people who owe us. We may not have people, we may not have people who sell themselves to us to serve us for six years, but there are people who work for us or with us or under our supervision who we could compare to slaves in the ancient Near East, not because they sold themselves to us, but because if someone works under you or you pay them or you lead them, then you and I have some sort of power and authority over them, like is described here in Deuteronomy. And of course, it's abundantly clear here that the core principle is generosity in response to God's grace. We have here not just an ethic, we have here an ethic that's grounded in a proclamation. Be generous because God has been so generous. Here we have a, an echo, a primal echo of Jesus' teaching to come in John 13 where he says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. We live and operate within free market economics, but that, while it has its blessings as well as its dark side, it is not the sole ultimate reality. Free market economics is a reality, but it's penultimate. The ultimate reality that defines us as Christians is God's economy of generous grace. What defines us more than anything in the world we have to operate is the generosity of the God who has operated to save us in the most radical way, ultimately, in Jesus. Israel had what it had because God blessed them. We, too, have what we have because God has blessed us. We can't stress that enough. We may work hard, but we have a lot to work with because God has given it to us in grace. In grace. You've heard that phrase, I think it's a song. He was born on third base and thought he hit a triple. Well, in a sense, spiritually speaking, that's true for all of us. No matter how hard we work, no matter how smart we, we are or think we are, no matter how big our life hits are, our misses, our missing, our missing of the mark is always much greater we're always, in the deepest sense, batting from a deficit. If we're to read the Bible fully, that's humanity. Humanity is to start with a deficit. And so it's always and forever true that we have what we have because God has been gracious. We are Israel. We are Israel. And while the 
law of Israel may not be prescribed or commanded to us as it's written here by the New Testament, by the New Covenant, by Jesus himself, it does reflect the heart of God ultimately revealed in Jesus Christ who actually takes it to a deeper level. Life with God as the giver shapes a giving heart. The Jesus whom we believe in as Lord and the new covenant he inaugurates does not specifically command us to legislate unconditional debt forgiveness every seven years. But our Lord does call us to forgive others of their sins 70 times seven, as Jesus said to Peter. This is an even deeper forgiveness. This command of the Lord is in fact even deeper than the law code Moses gives out in Deuteronomy. And when you live that out, it's gonna affect every element of your life, time, talent, and treasure. The forgiveness of 70 times seven will impact how we use our checkbook or our debit card as the case may be. The law code of Israel is a preview of life with hearts renovated by God's grace. As Keller writes, Christian businesses will be different. He wrote, they should not squeeze every penny of profit out of their businesses for themselves by charging the highest possible fees and prices to customers and paying the lowest possible wages to workers. Instead, Keller writes, they should be willing to pay higher wages and charge lower prices that in effect share the corporate profits with employees and customers with and with the community around them. This, this always creates a more vibrant, strong community. This is life with a 70 times seven forgiveness heart renovated by God's grace. For the Christian in business, a disposition to be generous will always involve some risk. It may even lead to financial losses at times, but as God has Israel's back, so God has ours. The ultimate North Star is not just the profit margin or return on investment. The ultimate North Star is faithfulness to the faithful God for the Christian. For the Christian in wider life, whether or not we own a business, a disposition toward giving time, talent, and treasure will also involve some risks. It may even involve some losses, at least from a worldly perspective, but as God had, is, had Israel's back, so God has ours. For some of us, this may mean we need to remember all the ways God has given to us. Maybe that's where we have to start. Maybe we're not ready to write the $1,000 check and hand it to someone in ministry or forgive a $1,000 debt. But maybe for others of us, it is time to do that. And maybe I know for, for many here in this church who give generously, that grace is already operating in your hearts. Praise God for your generosity. A lot of Amy's and Tim's in our midst. And of course, that doesn't just mean financial. Again, Jesus in the new covenant opens up this reality to be beyond the checkbook to a forgiving heart. Maybe someone doesn't owe you 10,000 bucks. Maybe they owe you 10,000 bucks worth of an apology. 
Or maybe they owe you a service. Or maybe they do owe you money. Whatever the case, while Moses' words in Deuteronomy may not be God's law for us today, it is God's word to us today. And it reflects the heart that God wants to shape in us. This is not to mandate that we forgive all debts immediately, but you can even approach the debt that you still feel called to collect with a forgiving, gracious heart. Or maybe God may call you to forgive someone's debt entirely. The idea of releasing someone from debt is a sort of letting go, a letting go of what is owed. A heart shaped in divine grace knows when to let go. And not just to let go, but to let go without any resentment or animosity. Our text warns us, isn't it interesting how God has this concern about the disposition of our hearts in the Old Testament? Often this is associated with the New Testament with the fruits of the Spirit and such. But here is a preview of the, of the sanctification that we're called to and given in Christ as a preview of who we're called to be in our hearts in Jesus Christ, as a preview of the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control that Paul talks about in Galatians. We have a warning here in Deuteronomy of the opposite where he says, don't be hard-hearted or tight-fisted. Give generously with a, without a grudging heart. And most of all, Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Scholar Dale Bruner comments, to be able to ask God the Father to remit debt and overlook sins is breathtaking. Jesus teaches us to come to the Father with this prayer. Is that not gospel? Deuteronomy's debt forgiveness calling, Deuteronomy's legalizing, codifying debt forgiveness gives us a preview of the gospel. It is the gospel written, woven into the life of Israel. It foreshadows the ultimate forgiveness of an absolute debt we can never repay it's the light of gospel debt forgiveness peeking over the horizon and bouncing off the Old Testament law into a world desperate to be forgiven in the ultimate deepest sense. In the Father's ultimate act of generosity, in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, the debt, the debt has been paid. And now in the Holy Spirit, we are united to our debt-paying Lord with lives under renovation to become more and more reflective of the Father's debt-forgiving heart. The life of Jesus, which the Deuteronomic Code was a preview of, takes us even deeper to the meaning behind the code. What is owed to you? What do you need to forgive? What of your time, talent, and treasure is God calling you to give in doing so? Allow the heart of our generous God who has been so generous to renovate your own. And watch what happens. 
in your world and in the wider world around. May it be so for you and for me. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen, amen.